0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast,
1: episode number 297. All good ideas start out as bad ideas. That's why it takes so long. Steven Spielberg.
0: Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari.
1: Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, today on the show, guys, we have a really inspiring and unique filmmaking story. Today's guests are Xander and Elliot Weaver, the mastermind independent filmmakers behind the feature film Cosmos. Now, on a daily basis, I get pitched just tons and tons of filmmakers wanting to get on the show. And as much as I want to help everybody out, I gotta, you know, I gotta make sure that the stories that I put on the show are really good and really inspiring to the tribe. And I heard about Xander and Elliot's film Cosmos just by running around the internet. And what made their film so unique is that they shot their feature film just like I did, on a Blackmagic pocket camera, 1080p. And that alone is not enough for it to really grab people's attention, because like I've said before, no one cares about what you shoot it on as long as it's a good story. And these guys were able to shoot a sci-fi adventure film a la Spielberg Zemeckis style about three amateur astronomers who intercept a faint signal from an alien race and stumble upon something potentially world changing. Now they shot this entire film for about 7,000 bucks and I was so blown away with how good it looks. And what's even more impressive is they got distribution and they're selling their movie around the world and making apparently good money with it. So the film was shot with three people, in a friend's garage, on a $600 camera, three LED lights, and a decade-old software post-production software package. They shot with two lenses, one old and one cheap. One was a Tamron 18-200 zoom, which they bought for about a hundred bucks, and some vintage glass from the 60s from a brand I'd never even heard of. This is the kind of story we as filmmakers need to hear. We don't hear these stories very often, but I want to highlight these guys so much, and I can't wait for you to hear their inspirational story. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Xander and Elliot Weaver. I'd like to welcome to the show Elliot and Xander Weaver, man. How are you guys doing?
2: Very well. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much for having us on the show.
1: Oh, awesome. man. Thank you for being on the show, man. You know, it's... I get I get I get bombarded with requests to be on the show all the time and they're like hey I made this really low budget movie and and I you know and and that was cool like 5 years ago like I made a movie for 5 grand like that's that's cool but I get Thirty of those a week, so it's not, I need something a little extra. And I actually, you guys came up on my radar with your film Cosmos a, a little while ago. We've been trying to do this for a while now, by the way. So everyone listening, the reason why it's taken so long is schedules, technology, all sorts of things to finally get to where we're at. But I saw what you're doing, and I was pretty blown away by not just the efficiency and the cost and all that stuff that you did. You know, you did the movie for about seven thousand bucks, as you told me, but the camera you used, and we'll talk about that, in five years. Um, and I say that with like, oh, gotta help you. Um, you know, all that stuff. I feel, I feel it, brother, I feel it. it it's uh, But I just love what you're doing and the quality and everything looks so great. So we're gonna get deep into Cosmos today. But before we do that, how did you uh, get into this ridiculous
0: business?
2: Uh, well, we ever, since I mean I think this is a story of many people who who make movies and love movies. We've been doing it since we were kids, you know, since we were and the first film we actually made. Elliot was five years old and I was three, and uh, we got the home Oops. video camera and we made a film called When the Toys Ca- Come Came to Life. When the Toys Come to Life, and our toys in our bedroom came to life. And after that, we were just we were hooked. And uh, uh, all through high school, we were making shorts with our with our mates and and making music videos for them and stuff and um we decided to just go straight from high school and jump in you know we didn't go to a film school we didn't go to a university um there aren't really the same kind of level of establishment like there are over in the u.s for film school um options so we would just we just thought we'd jump straight in get some experience and and start trying to you know find our feet in the industry really but yeah passionate since since very small, very, you know, early
1: so, days. So the question is, did you sue Pixar for uh, stealing Toy Story from you guys is the question. Not
2: yet. Yeah, but you know, we're working on it. It might from the next
1: movie. <laughs> Am I, I mean, because obviously, I mean, I, I broke the story here that Pixar okay. stole, they saw your short, stole your idea and has made okay. billions of dollars. Okay. I I'm mean, just,
3: we were like seven or
2: six, and we were
3: fuming in the cinema. We were like
2: ready to table
3: flip and boy, just sick.
2: walk out. This is our IP. It was right our there. first taste of you know the <laughs> industry screwing us over. Just sip,
1: <laughs> sippy cups flying everywhere. Oh, it was wow. just it was just rough back then. I'm saying
2: storming out of his birthday party. <laughs> yeah, just, just Can
1: yeah. you imagine? They did
2: it better. To be fair, I'll give them that. <laughs> give them that.
1: They did. It, was the production a little bit better than yours? Just slightly. A little- Just a little bit. Just slightly. All right. So let's um, let's talk about Cosmos, man. How did Cosmos come to be?
3: Uh, Cosmos came about because um, we were actually trying to set up another project. As Xander said, uh, when we left school, we tried to set – well, when we left school, we both tried to jump into it and, and set our hearts on directing a feature film. You know, finally getting around to this thing that we waited to get out of high school to do. And we set this project up, we started writing a script and we we kind of faced that challenge that all indie filmmakers face, which is, do we write a script we know we can achieve or do we write the script we'd love to see and love to make and love to make, but we'll cross that bridge later. And of course, being like 19 and 21 years old, we wrote the script we wanted to see Obviously, and thought, well, you know, we'll cross that bridge. And then we had to cross that bridge. So we were talking to finance and we were talking to investors and we got a crew together and it was all looking really, really good. But understandably we were we were young guys and we were asking for something like 5 million quid for a budget or something because they all snowboard for the people we got involved it was going really well and all the investment people kept going this is fant- your story sounds great it's fantastic crew look good but you know you haven't done this before and you're young and it's a lot of money to ask and <laughs> we just- were like
2: Yes. I mean, a reasonable.
1: You make a good point. I mean, point. I'm, just, I'm just saying it's like the equivalent of saying, hey, um, I need five million to build a house. I've never built a house before. Uh, yeah, exactly. I've seen it. I've seen it on TV. It seems fairly easy. So, um, seen, like, and by the I, way, I, by the way, at the end of a five million dollar house, you have a house. At the end of a yeah, five exactly. million dollar movie, eh, maybe you'll make money. Maybe you won't. No. <laughs> So we were
3: like, okay, you know, reasonable, reasonable concerns. Um, They kept saying, go away and make a film and prove that you can make a movie. And we were frustrated because we were like, this is what we're trying to do. Anyway, we put that initial film on the shelf, which was called Encounter, went back to the drawing board and went, okay, let's, let's probably do what we should have always have done. Look at what we've got available. You know, we've got lots of computer screens. We've got a station wagon. You know, our dad's kind of Volvo car. We love astronomy and all this sort of thing. What can we... Robert Rodriguez filmmaking, what can we make a movie out of that we've already got? And that's how Cosmos was born. And our initial concept was to make it in about 12 to 18 months and then go back to those investors and go, hey, there you go. Look, there's a Blu-ray. Told you we could do it. Let's get back to business. But uh, because we wanted to do it the way we wanted to do it, where we could prove we had, um, or hopefully prove that we knew what we were talking about and we could take a script and deliver it, we wanted to basically do as much of it as we could ourselves. And that meant it took a lot longer, but we fell in love with the project and we just ran with it. And it took five years in the
0: end. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
3: But we're thrilled with with the the journey.
0: So So you,
1: I mean, I'm assuming you made this on the weekends and whenever you had spare time and stuff like that. Yeah, well, initially we did. So the first, um,
2: basically the first year and a half of, of, of the work on the film. So the <laughs> yeah. writing, of it, the casting of it, finding locations, costumes, making the props and everything. Oh, that was my phone, sorry. I didn't catch that. Oh dear. Sorry. <laughs> up, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the first year and a half of the movie was, was done in our spare time while we were freelancing and, and We run a production company as well, independent production company that makes TV documentaries. Then from the end of 2015 onwards, we were like, if we're going to make this happen, we've got to commit to it. So we went full time on it. um, And we it sounds a bit rock and roll. It's not rock and roll. But we we lived off the royalties from um, our documentary production, which is something that we talk about to filmmakers a lot. We say, you, you know, if you're looking for that liberation to be able to spend the time making Uh, your feature film, your narrative feature, consider making some TV documentaries and getting them out on the market and letting them do some work for you. So those documentaries gave us that freedom. And for the next uh, three years or two two and a half years, we worked full time on the movie.
1: Now, what was the crew situation like?
3: The crew situation was limited, right? (laughs) So we had on the production crew, there was three of us, and that was myself, Zander, and our mom um and we did, awesome. we did everything, right we did everything so we we rigged all the gear we lit the sets we rigged the mics we shot we did all the props we did the lot basically we directed as well
1: <laughs> um, yeah, there's that there's that, <laughs>
3: that and for the shoot the shoot was 55 days spread over a year um okay. basically we shot in blocks and that was dictated because the actors, um, you know, were busy and they had other commitments, and we tried to work around their commitments. And then in post-production, it was just it was predominantly the two of us, Sandra and I. And then we worked with a composer uh, over about three months to do the soundtrack. So again, it was just Sandra and I for like 28 months of just post-production, just <laughs> staring at computer screens and just chugging away through it. It seems like a really it's a, it's a mad way to make a film. But again, from the very beginning, our objective was we want something that we can show people and that they can look at. And basically, they can't take anything away from us. They can't sit there and go, well, you know, it was well edited, but that was because you hired a professional editor, wasn't it? Or it's well graded, but that's because you hired a professional color grader. We wanted to, for better or worse, whether it ended up being a good film or a bad film. We wanted to have something that we could show these investors, and they could go. So apart from acting in it and writing the soundtrack, everything else is you. And we can go, yeah. Now, on our next movie, we don't want to do that. We want to work with people who own their craft and they're masters of their skill, and they can bring so much to it. But at least hopefully, it demonstrates that you know we have an understanding of visual effects, and we have an understanding of editing, and we have an understanding of foley and all this sort of stuff. We don't want to do it professionally. But at least we can be part of those conversations as directors. That
1: was the A, anyway. So I mean, because I mean, I've heard of these stories of of projects going on for five years, and it generally never ends well. Um, (laughs) It it generally doesn't end well when you hear like, "Yeah, we've been making this movie for five years." You're like, "Oh, okay." And if it's some, I've 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 worked on features that took that long to make, and it just never got released. Just. They paid it they did it and they just couldn't get it sold because it was either too bad or, or for whatever reason so that you guys actually got it at the, to the finish line and it looks as, it. And, it, and it looks as good as it did and it made as much noise as it did um is is a feat in itself man it really really i mean you are a guy you guys are definitely the indie film hustle uh personification. uh there's no no question about it because to stay on a project for five years Man, you got to be committed. And that also says a lot about you as filmmakers. You know, if I'm an investor, I'm like, these guys are serious, man. They stuck on this thing for five years, better or worse. And there's a reason why it took them this long. It's not because they were crazy, it's because they didn't have any money. And if they would have had a decent budget, this could have been done within a year, all in. Um, So uh, now you chose the Blackmagic Pocket camera, which has just a dear place in my heart because i shot my last film on the black back the pocket camera as well i've i've been saying this for a while it's a stunning image it's gorgeous it's 1080p i don't care it's gorgeous
2: i yeah we totally agree we think it's this unsung hero of the yes. indie filmmaker world and it's completely it's it's quite overlooked actually um uh yeah we we saw um, when when we we shot the film in 2015 we started shooting the film in 2015 and the pocket camera the original pocket camera i think was it
1: did it come out in 2013 something like that yeah yeah something like that yeah
2: yeah yeah and we 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 saw the footage start coming through online of people doing camera tests and we were just absolutely blown away by it we just thought it just has such this filmic quality to it It just looks absolutely lovely so um as soon as we could we 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 freelance cameramen at the time um and we we bought the camera to use for work. um, And then we were like, this is it. We've got to use this for Cosmos. So it it served us incredibly well. There are, there are, you know, um, bumps in the road with the camera battery life, for example, is no good. The screen's a bit iffy and all that kind of stuff. But once you've got all those things in place, what you effectively, when you buy the camera is this beautiful sensor really. And, and, um, we were, we were very happy with the results of the film so much. So actually afterwards we approached, um, after the film was released, we approached black magic and sure. they gave it to, to give away to the filmmaking community, which was wonderful. Like to have that association and that affiliation with them was the real moment of pride.
1: Yeah. What I love about what I love about the camera. Yes. The battery power. I use the juice box. So I just like used to have yeah. the, the, I just, I put it and with the juice box. It lasts. I we wish we shoot six hours.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. It keeps going. Keeps it just going
1: goes again. and goes and goes. So with the juice box, it was solid that part. And then I got the, what is it? Did you guys get the, um, the speed booster
2: we did we did yeah. get a speed booster yeah meta bones yeah the
1: meta speed booster just automatically gives you another stop and a half it's yeah. wonderful and yes the monitor in the back can have yeah. issues it can have issues but you could plug in if you if you're so inclined a little little monitor pop it out or something yeah. like that if you want to but the speed that you the the the, the speed you can move the size oh. of it I mean, and now, I mean, now they have the 4K pocket camera, or actually the 6K pocket, 4K is old school now. <laughs> they have the 6K pocket camera as well. So they have these other versions that are a little bit more beefy, but this has this super 16 style. Yeah. It's a super 16 image. It's a, a yeah. sensor, it's a super 16 sensor. So for me, like with my film, I wanted that like 1990s Sundance indie vibe yeah. with a little bit of grain. I actually added, it was too clean, I added grain um, to the image in post. But it's such a beautiful camera. Now, what lenses did you uh, use?
3: We shot most of the movie, actually, on a single stills lens that we had, a 28mm 1960s stills lens that we just had for photography. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it just,
3: like you said, I don't know what it is about that sensor, but the way sort of the light blooms, Mm -hmm. and it does have like a grainy, although it's obviously digital noise, it does have a grainy look
1: to it. It looks like film grain. Yeah. Yeah. but it's, what it is, but it's, but pretty it's pretty clean, but it's pretty, it clean. if you shoot it, it right, is. it's clean. Yeah. And, it but the, the aesthetic of the image has that super 16 clean yeah. look and you, yeah. and if you just add just a little bit of digital grain yeah. to it, which is a little film grain onto it on top of it, it could just take it to that, that other That's beautiful. beautiful.
2: It, it, it worked. It was perfect for our needs. You know, uh, Cosmos is a film set predominantly in, in this car. Uh, you know, in a station wagon. So we we had to get a camera and 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 all the you know a slider and stuff inside of this car and shoot in the confines of the vehicle. And to have this small camera was just
1: absolutely—you wouldn't ideal. have been able to do it otherwise. You would have to have, like cut the car in half and like fly, you know, fly in and out and all this kind of stuff. Like I actually, yeah, like I own a a a, a the Blackmagic uh, four point six K camera but I chose to shoot with the little camera because of the ease. Even if you would have had a RED or an Alexa, you couldn't have shot this film.
3: We couldn't. We say that to people sometimes and they kind of look at us and they go, what do you mean? And you go, well, I mean, it's tough to get a camera in a car. Like it's not, it's actually our car. It's not a set. You know, we're filming (laughs) inside. Can't chop the roof off. We've got to drive home. (laughs) Um, So yeah, (laughs) it is. and, And also it's HD, it's 1080p. And again, some filmmakers look at you like, You know, you've landed from Mars if you're shooting in HD. But it doesn't, A, it doesn't matter to me, and it doesn't matter in general.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. Um,
3: But B, there is something beautiful about, like film is... High resolution but it's soft it's a delicate image it's not pin sharp crystal clear high fidelity and i think the 1080p black magic it has the same texture that film has it's It's a a pin sharp image if you want it and it's clean like you said but it it's
1: it's, soft it just softens the edges uh in a way that film does um i mean they i've talked to black magic a lot about this when i work with them and I've told them that camera is just like, and all of their, actually all of their images, they always have yeah. this, this kind of like beautiful, like it's sh- like red is freaking just scalpel esque uh, in their yeah. image. It's so crystal clear. It's a bit, it's a bit much. Um, where Alexa, is also a soft image, but the Alexa costs 80 to 100,000. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to the black magic and, and, and all of that. Now, one thing I found interesting about your story is that you guys, you had a soundstage, obviously. They don't tell, you don't, don't, don't say this publicly enough, but you had a sound stage. it was your garage. You actually <laughs> built a garage soundstage where you shot a lot of the film in. Can you explain that process, sir? sirs? Uh,
2: yeah yeah well we the the, the the garage is actually a friend of ours so we um, one of the challenges that we faced is that the, the actual set of the movie is the, is this car um but it was the vehicle that we would use to get from the garage every single day so um you know at the end of filming uh, we would at the beginning of the day we'd get there and we'd get all the gear out and we'd set the props up in the vehicle and we'd shoot and then by the end of the day Uh, We had to de-rig everything, put it all back in the car and drive off. We couldn't leave it all set up. That would have been too easy. Um, But but the film takes place across one night, effectively. And instead of having the car out in the middle of the field and shooting actually in the middle of the night uh, for the interiors, we just drove it into this garage. We put up a black psych. And we shot during the day and faked it as if it was at nighttime. And it, it, it worked superbly well. But we all, we did all start going a bit doo by the end of it because uh, we weren't seeing any daylight. It was the middle of the winter here in the UK and we'd drive in in the dark, shoot in the dark all day, and drive out in the dark. So, yeah, we craved the lunchtime daylight that we got um, every day.
1: Now, I want to go back real quick to the whole 1080p aspect. Did you shooting on 1080p affect your? your distribution deal your sales did you they they go oh no we can't take your film because we need 4k can i just want because this is a myth people think you have to master in 4k you have to shoot in six or now 12k or something like that i want you i want you please tell the people please tell the people the truth did it matter
3: no it doesn't matter well it didn't matter to us um uh, we spoke to a handful of distributors. We spoke to a handful of sales agents. We even got two distributors bidding against each other for the film. And even when we'd settled on one and were signing all the deals up, not once in the sort of six months that we were doing distribution and since have we been asked about what resolution the film was shot on? Not once did they ask us during the the, the negotiation process what what resolution is it. You know, um, what did you shoot on? It didn't matter. Um and in fact, when we got the deliverable uh the tech specs Mm -hmm. in the tech specs for our distributor, it actually said, if you have shot your film in 4K, can you please let us know? Because we will have to set up a special pipeline for you. Basically, not many people do that, you know, in, in other words, not many people do that and we'll have to go a special route for you. So yeah, not once were we asked, is it in 2K, 4K, 6K? They just they watch the screener and that's all they really want it to talk about. Um, so we often get asked too. Um, we get emailed by people going, Oh, you shot on the 6K. I read you shot on the Blackmagic 6K. And we're like, No, no, we shot on the, the 1080- original. And they're like, the, the 4K. You're like, No, no, the original, the, the
1: 1080p. Yeah, I, same thing happens to be. <laughs>
2: yeah. all, all, day, all, 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 all this will happen, right? They'll get in touch and they'll say, We watched the movie, you know, really impressed with what you achieved with your limited resources. And you're like, Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Um and they say, what, what did what what camera did you shoot on? And you tell them, and like Elliot said, they assume it's six K or four K. And you go, No, it's the 1080p one. And they go, Really? I'm shocked. And it's like, well, you you watched it. So like, <laughs> do you like, did it work for you? Did it distract from the story for you? Or did you just watch it and enjoy it and not really worry? So yeah, I think it's very easy to get lost in the kind of K war uh, with all the modern technology. But ultimately, I think as storytellers, I focus should be more on the script and the acting and the soundtrack.
1: Stop it! On how many k? Stop it! Yeah. Stop it, sir! You're talking yeah, yeah. crazy talk, sir. Crazy talk. It's all about the cameras. It's all about the gear. If you've got a 12k Sorry. camera, Sorry. Sorry. if you have an Alexa with a hundred thousand uh, uh, dollar lens on it, that's all you need. You don't need a story or acting. That's that 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 automatically makes your movie good, isn't that? That's what I've been sold. That's what I've been Stay told. It. Am I wrong? <laughs> that's
3: what I've been told, too. Yeah. I mean, we also get asked, you know, what codec we shot in. And we shot, people go, oh, right. you shot RAW then, right? And we, we, actually, we shot ProRes LT. Okay. Um, well, that's
1: now, that's we, now, honestly, now I'm going to have to say that is kind of crazy talk. Why didn't you shoot RAW? Is, Come on, guys. You could have shot RAW. Well, oh, wait a minute, but you edited in Final Cut, which we'll get to in a minute. So RAW would have yeah. been a big pain in the butt for you.
3: It would have been. It would have been. I mean, we just we did our own little camera tests. We put our nose to the screen, and we were like, I,
1: "LT, like, you shot an we, LT, not even ProRes, just
3: didn't even yeah, not even tell the difference.
2: LT, yeah.
3: We did HQ, ProRes, and not an
2: LT tests, and we were like, looking at our monitor, you know, our Mac monitor, going, I, "Which one is this? I can't tell." So we also like wanted to just like we wanted to. We're big fans of like committing on location, <laughs> to like basically what it looks like and how it's lit and the color and you know and so because that's those are the directors that we look up to from our childhood you know they didn't have that kind of flexibility that is now available to filmmakers and and i think it can hone your abilities and your craft so to some degree we wanted to test ourselves and go look we're going to bake this in we're going to just shoot and what we get is what we get and we're going to live with it and and that's that to us is part of the thrill and excitement of, of filmmaking
1: it's crazy man crazy talk you guys crazy talk and uh, but you also had a, a limited theatrical right we did yeah we but did. how we could got... but sir but how could you do that with a 1080p that's not possible sir how could you do that explain well
2: great question um <laughs> yeah it, it held up beautifully on mm-hmm. screen we did actually do an up res uh 2k up res yeah for the dc using uh davinci resolves uh up-res, upscale which is nuts um in <laughs> yeah. fact i've heard that many people are um selling their black magic 6ks and 4ks going back to the originals and just upresing them because they prefer the image uh how it looks on the original um but yeah we we had a limited theatrical release the movie was in uh, nine cities across the states which was just mad for us right we didn't sure. we were not anticipating that like two kids from birmingham uk making a movie and it's going to be shown in cinemas in america that was that was a dream come true and uh, we we've seen it we saw it twice on a big screen we had a premiere here in the uk a premiere out in los angeles as well and it just really holds up incredibly well considering and and I, I just i i just wish that filmmakers could you know stop worrying so much about it because the the, the kit that we've got available at our fingertips now is just so incredibly powerful yes and the, It's just no excuse, I
1: think. No, when I, and that's why, that's another reason why I wanted you guys on the show, because you shot with this camera, because I shot with the camera as well. And everyone says, all the same things you get, I've gotten with my film. And and I I did the same thing, like, because on my monitor here where I color graded, it looked great. But when I, I was, I premiered at the Chinese theater in Hollywood with my Ah. film, and I was like, this is amazing. And, but. Do you understand? I was terrified. I just upres. Yeah. I I did a DP a DCP upres to t- to 2K. I'm like,
3: I don't. Is know. it gonna work?
1: And is it, I don't know what it's gonna look like. I'm like, is it gonna be super grainy? I'm like, okay, well, it's supposed to be kind of grainy because I wanted it. And when I saw it projected in the Chinese, and I just sat there before the audience came out, and we did a little a little text text uh, scout on it, I was like, oh my, it looks amazing. It's yeah, it gorgeous. It was so. And we did the DCP through to Da Vinci and I was just blown away. It's honestly and I've shot with all the cameras uh, known to man, 35, 16, I've shot everything. It's probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever shot. That film. Oh that's it, so cool. It's such a great camera. And that's why I wanted I want people listening to understand. You can buy that little camera right now on eBay for six to eight hundred dollars.
3: Yeah, maybe yeah. less.
1: Maybe yeah. less and you can find you could buy the full like a full kit. For like a yeah. thousand, twelve hundred bucks, and that comes with like a lot of, I mean, I, I bought my I bought mine off of eBay. I bought it like for I think a thousand bucks, but it was like a full kit case, wow. batteries, all of that stuff. And then to rig it out, it doesn't cost that much. Like okay. yeah, if you need, okay. if, you need a, if you need a matte box, I got my matte box for like 150 bucks.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now back to the show. You
1: yeah, know, yeah. It's it's so you can really, you can pimp it out, man. You can pimp it out really, yeah, really, we really.
2: Actually, I actually made our uh, camera rig out. Yeah,
1: the, I, I heard about, the, about that. Yeah, yes. So please tell tell us about your your rig,
0: sir.
2: Yeah, the rig. We actually put up a video on uh, our Facebook page a few months back just to show people because they kept uh, we, we'd spoken about the fact that I'd made this rig. And so I don't think some people believe that it was actually true, but yeah, it's it's one of those very kind of Heath Robinson uh, held together with gaffer tape kind of uh, affairs, really. But just you know, I went to I was looking online. We didn't have a budget for this movie. I was looking online, and and there's some wonderful rigs out there. But you, I think there's like two kinds, right? There's there's these lovely machine milled, beautiful things, right, that are quite expensive, Making and then a thousand like bucks, yeah, but cheap plastic ones and you think oh they're gonna snap when I first use them. So I just thought because we had some very specific requirements with Cosmos of getting in the car and being able to adjust the the rig setup and what we wanted to do with it. I was like, why don't I just make a custom one? So went to the hardware store, did? got some wood, got some copper pipe got some nails and just put it all together really and uh, you could see it in the behind the scenes it's not pretty right it's not but it's but that, that's part of the fun of it's this that film baby, all right it's, it's part of baby. the fun of
3: this film you know we, we we are very proud and very like humbled by how well it's done but we're also really excited because we've done it in sort of the most kit bashed ad hoc way you know We've got a cardboard mat box, and we've got ankle weights on the back of our rig, <laughs> and we're using a wheelchair for a dolly, and yeah. it doesn't matter, or it doesn't matter to us. And it, it wasn't film about. It wasn't about standing behind a camera with our cap on and posing and looking cool. It was about making a film, no matter what, and it, it wasn't about being cool and being seen with a red epic or an LX. Yeah. we'd love love to work with that. You know, it would be a dream, but we for, we forwent that. That sort of the image of feeling good about ourselves in exchange for actually being able to get a film made.
1: Yeah, no, it's it, and I, when I saw when I saw the behind the scenes and I saw you guys in a wheelchair, I was like, oh, Robert, Mr. Rodriguez has helped us out so much because he's yeah, a first, I mean, I, I'm a bit older than you guys. So I, I came up around the same time Robert did. I, I speak of him like I'm his friend. I'm not, but um, but Robert, uh, B- Bobby, Bobby, um, Bobby, uh, no, uh, Robert, uh, he did the, the wheelchair thing with his with El Mariachi, and I did a wheelchair thing. Every everybody of my generation did the wheelchair. Like we, yes. and to, to to be honest with you, this is what how I got because wheelchairs are expensive. They they're not cheap. So what we did this is back in ninety, god, ninety four, I think. We went to the mall. Where you could rent a wheelchair for the day for $1.25. Oh, wow. But we just took it home.
2: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: Wow. <laughs> you, Morally questionable. No, wait, wait, wait. Used it, returned it afterwards, got my dollar. I got a quarter back because I returned it. So the essential rental would be it was just a because no one does that. Like, and it was also the 90s and they didn't, you know, and it was a, it's a different world. Like the way, Less, less cameras. Less cameras in the, you know, security cameras. Less security. It was, it was the wild, wild west. But yes, uh, that's that was what I do.
3: <laughs> brilliant. That's what it's all about, there, right? That's the indie film hustle. Awesome.
1: No, man. I since I've been, I've been, I've been living the brand since ninety uh, two, sir. <laughs> it's a now, article. what is the biggest mistake you made making this film? I'm sure there's a list, but what's the one that you like?
2: Oh. Um, I think I think the biggest. Well, see, this is this is an interesting question. The thing that we often say we, we would do differently is we would just get some help, right? We would raise a <laughs> bit of money, right? So we would so, do it. All our own. Two people. It seems very obvious.
1: Like two people, three yeah, people maybe.
2: People. But the the challenge that the reason it's not that simple actually for us is because part of part of the marketing for Cosmos has been leveraging this kind of indie film spirit. It's been connecting with the filmmaking community by saying, look, we're just doing this with nothing. Follow us along, be part of it. Sure. Um, and, and, and so if we'd have done it, how most of the people do it where they pull a band together and they kickstart and they raise yeah, $3,000, yeah. mm-hmm. then you're just the same as everybody else. Right? So to some degree, this nuts, stupid way of doing a movie, was took ages, but it paid off because it's allowed us to open up conversations. We're talking to you now because of it, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be otherwise. So, mm-hmm. um, I would say if I wanted to get it done quicker, uh, with less stress, just collaborate with more people, get it done sooner. But you know, I'm very proud of like the way we've done it and and the experience that we've obtained from it. It's just like, god, it's immeasurable like, to, to just have a bit of a glimpse and an understanding about all these elements and aspects sure. of the process. It's like the ultimate film school. So it, I, you know, it, it's a really interesting question.
1: What did what did mom do since she was your third crewman? A crew, sure. a crew crew Crewwoman.
3: She <laughs> was well, essential. So our mom professionally, um, not anymore, but before we were born and while we were kids, she was a professional TV makeup artist. Okay. Um, so, we, we should one of the main disciplines uh, that she had on the film was she was hair and makeup, sure. and that obviously keep, you know sort of rolled over into continuity. So she was keeping track of all the beard length and the hair length and the collars and all that sort of thing. And then we did also just like rope her in and, and put it to good use doing the clapperboard every now and then, sometimes holding the boom and sometimes running the smoke machine around. She was. Sort of uh almost like the third director really yeah. we we were all uh, in it together, but she was um also we often say she was the onset mom, and every set needs a mom, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, all the boys all the guys they kind of uh, she mothered them and they adopted her so we all we had this sort of um family family film. unit on the yeah. film yeah
1: now, what did you guys use for a smoke machine? did you actually like buy one of those like party smoke machines or
2: we yeah we had we already had like a a, a mister like a disco smoke machine type thing
1: yeah Yeah.
2: um but and we tested it outside and we're like this is just not not gonna hack it you know like in the windy british winter it's like okay it's like someone's just lit a cigarette that's not gonna work (laughs) so actually the single biggest expense on the movie we bought a gas-powered uh artem smoke machine yeah Um, all the propane ones yeah on the proper jobs you know and and um but us we we could justify it in our heads because we were just like this is going to give us a production value we're going to be out in a forest and it's going to give us the depth and allow us to kind of make it look like we have more lights than we do and you know we're big fans of like having that smoke medium to light in and all that stuff so for us, it was um, it was about it was over ten percent of the budget
1: yeah.
3: on the smoke machine. it was. Yeah. But, <laughs> so,
1: but I want to get it, I want to ask you something because I've shot with a ton of haze machines and smoke machines in my career, and you guys didn't shoot raw. So I know from shooting with smoke machines that smoke doesn't take direction quite well. Um, how how Tony Scott shot every scene of every movie that he ever did with a smoke machine or a haze machine, and it looked perfect every time. How he did it, I don't know. I can only imagine, I've had trouble with full crews. How the hell did you wrangle smoke or haze in a shot, and how did it not, how did you match it in post? And how did you deal with it in color? Because sometimes if it's one shot's hazy and then the coverage is not hazy, how do you, like, how did you do it?
3: Well, it was difficult. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was hard as hell, Alex. I have to tell you, it was ridiculously hard. <laughs> it was almost impossible. Um, was,
3: we almost set everything on fire and uh, third degree burns and the whole lot, really. Um, no, yeah, so we, we did get quite good at, like, timing the smoke machine so you can, we could sort of, like, leave it off on its own and it would just trickle out on its own very against the rules of owning a propane gas machine. But smoke machine is never leave it unattended
2: but you know we were all grown-ups
3: we grown were up to only a few sure feet away something. you
1: were a few feet away it was a
2: few
0: yeah, feet yeah.
2: Feet. Yeah. we all think we uh, do like a blast right we do uh, we like one of us would run around with a smoke machine blast it into the grass and all that kind of stuff and then you step back and it be this enormous fog cloud right <laughs> you'd be behind the camera ready actors will be ready wait for it wait for the moment wait for the you know and then just when it was right, we went for it.
1: I, I, have to, I just yeah. have to point something out that you were judging me morally about my, my wheelchair scam. Sir, you left you know, a I'm... propane machine unattended, sir, which actually could have killed people. My little scam did not kill anybody and it was returned, right. sir. So both of you, I just, right. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Thank
3: you. Thank you. I, take, I take everything back. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> so right, So oh, that even, in, even in post,
0: though, like matching. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, matching that haze. Uh, and, uh, yes, how did we you- did
2: do a bit of that. Yeah, did it, was, it for the most part. We were, it was okay. Like we we for one reason or another, uh, we didn't have too much problems. But we did. There is there is always that you know there's always that balance, isn't there? When you come to to your color grade and you, 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 I think you did a bit of smoke. Stuff in post. I did you, yeah. I, I and pasting backgrounds and paste. Dan,
3: can you just take the smoke from behind this guy's head in this shot? Yeah. And put it in this guy and he would just be like, <sighs>
1: okay. 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 Yeah, okay, yeah, I can Yeah, you have to, I mean, it's, it's, I just want people that hearing this understand shooting with a smoke machine or a haze machine, yeah. it's not easy and it's time consuming. It is, you, you shoot it up, settle, wait, wait, shoot oh. Cut, do it again. And then, like, no, oh, and no. you guys, I, you, I've only done it inside. I've never done it outside. So I can only oh, imagine yeah. shooting oh, it outside. And you, and you guys it'll had a reaction um, as
3: well. Like, you'll be for 10 <laughs> minutes, it'll be blowing left to right. And then suddenly you are like, hang on, it's, I'll put the smoke machine over there. You know, it's, it's you're chasing your tail all, all night long.
1: Now, can you talk to everybody? Because you guys uh, did purchase a very high, uh, expensive uh, wind machine. So can you tell people what that wind machine was?
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, it, you know, in the, um, in the spirit of all high-end special effects that you see in all the blockbusters, um, we, uh, we went into our garden shed and uh, we were digging around. And we were aware that, you know, once upon a time, we were the proud owners of a leaf blower. Um, <laughs> so we got that Dyson leaf blower out, gave it a bit of a blast and thought, okay, well, we can't record any dialogue while using this. but we can have winds. so yeah, that was one of one of our jobs. In fact, my job on the end of the shoot, uh, I was directing and blowing hot, dusty air into the faces of the actors. So you were just directing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: basically. It's method, it was hot method. Yeah, that it's was very. Pretty.
3: Turn the wind machine off.
1: <laughs> you wanted them to cry, so you just show, just slam dirt into their eyes, basically, at high speed. Yeah. Absolutely,
3: yeah, That's... teary, glossy-eyed look. That's great.
0: Oh, That's sorry. Awesome. No, you've just got
1: leaves in your face. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, yeah. amazing. Now, um, what I want to talk about post because when I read what you guys did in post, um, again, made my heart just, just it warmed my heart because you were using two pieces of software that I used on. I, I look, I'm a recent convert from Final Cut Seven. When I say recent, oh, wow. it was probably like four or five years, like four, like four years ago, maybe. I think four four years ago, I think I switched over to editing. Four or five years ago, I switched to editing to, in Resolve strictly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I seven solid, and with 1080p. When yeah. I mean, you guys were shooting a ProRes, so I actually, hey. with, I mean, with my first film, I had to actually go to Resolve because I was shooting RAW on the cin- the old cinema camera, the original, yeah. the original yeah, uh, 2.5K cinema camera. So I had to go RAW because I'm like, finally, I have to leave for Final Cut 7. So you edited in Final Cut 7 and then you colored in color too. Apple color, if I'm not mistaken, right? We did. We
0: did. Yeah, I did yeah. a lot we of Apple color. Sound,
2: sound design in Final Cut 7 as well.
0: Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. You, yeah. yeah. So, so you guys were doing, and what year was this? This was, yeah, 2018, started. 2018 so 2017, 2018. Truly, truly no excuse. So, because I'm saying, <laughs> because I, I, I did all of this in like 2006. So there is, um, there's yeah. no excuse. No, but it's, you had what you had, and that's again, that's another yeah. great lesson yeah. here. You have it, you own it. Use what you got.
0: That's
2: it. That's what it's all about. And and for us, we'd, uh, we 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 produce all of our documentaries using Final Cut Seven. a system you. Need. And, and again, our philosophy is just like look, there's been Oscar Oscar winning yeah. movies that have been edited on Final Cut Seven. We have no requirement to push to a, a new piece of software. We, we're not shooting in 4K or 8K or something crazy. We're shooting in 1080p. Uh, if it's good enough. Well, Parasite won the best. Oscar. Yeah, Sean, yeah. Uh, edited on Final Cut 7.
3: Yeah, no,
1: that's right, so. Parasite was edited on Final Cut 7? Yeah, it was. So, you know. What?
2: You just
1: think,
0: that's amazing. Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah it's still going strong there's a small <laughs> band of fcp7 users that are like
0: come on keep it
1: alive
2: uh, <laughs> it's a great it's a great um, piece of
1: software it's a great piece of software though i do like resolve a little bit better than color i have to say
2: uh we are, yeah we're, we're in the process of kind of switching over to uh resolve for all things all things generally really you know yeah. cutting and uh and grading as well so I mean, just black magic
1: all the way. No, no, and that's another thing that people—I uh, want people to understand—is like if you if you stay within the black magic ecosystem, man, it works beautifully. Like you, you shoot raw, bring it into Resolve, and you can do everything in Resolve, and then you don't have to actually even go out to online anywhere. It all stays in. Visual effects are connected. Sound is connected. It's it's a pretty amazing piece of software. You're
2: Talking about some kind of. Unknown future world to us, Alex. We're still dealing with Final
1: Cut Seven and Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> get the floppy disk. <laughs> get the floppy disk. No no get the zip get the zip disc, sir. Get the zip disc. The zip disc and the jazz do you do even do you know even know what a jazz drive is? No. Do you know what a jazz zip disc do you know what a zip disc is? is it, you guys
3: are just,
2: I don't
1: know. You guys are what, so is young. That you're so young. That's floppy disk, right? No, a floppy disk was a 1.2 meg, if I'm not mistaken, disk. That oh, held yeah, like yeah. 1.2 meg. The Zip disk held 100 megs. Oh. And it was like a plastic disk. And then the Jazz was the the, the big brother of the Zip. It was all by iOmega. Uh, it was a company. This, now I'm just, I'm, I'm dating myself, and only like 5% of my audience is going, huh? oh, I remember that. No, I'm... I'm much, apparently much older than you guys. Extremely much, much older than you guys. Well, we used
2: <laughs> floppies at school. At, uh, at High school, school, yeah. right. school putting our coursework on floppy disks. The USB, the whole flash drive thing was like, wow, what a magic. <laughs> it's like science,
1: fi- science fiction, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now it's like, oh, it's we by were talking 0 someone USB stick. We were talking
3: to someone not long ago, and they were talking about MP3 players, weren't they, or something, mm. What was it? And they said, oh, you were saying, they were saying something like, oh, apparently there was a time when MP3 players couldn't do this and we were just like oh my god like yeah. there wasn't a time when MP3 players existed like <laughs> yeah well, you
1: uh, know y- yeah yeah there was there was a thing called tapes um CDs yes. oh, nice. records 8 track i uh, i remember yeah. 8 track yeah. vaguely in in a car in in a car when i was a kid i remember an 8 track anyway i'm Wait, so i'm child. so i'm so effing old i appreciate you uh you're reminding me Wish. thank you
2: tape sets for children of the tapes. Oh, a load tapes. Recording your, your mixtapes
1: on oh, the radio and, stuff. and waiting, yeah, waiting for the radio, just like I'm hoping the Push. DJ does not say a damn yeah. word over the song. <laughs> and it then was... later
2: in life, when you hear the song and you're like, this isn't right, where's that because... weird outro? Yes, <laughs> yes. Because
1: you hear this song a thousand times and you're like, hey, welcome back. Like, and you're just <laughs> waiting for that. You can actually
3: valve it yourself. It's like, I know it off my heart. Oh my coming. God,
1: I used to do that all the time. <laughs> um so because you guys you guys were the dps in this um as well and it looks by the way fantastic it looks gorgeous um so that's extremely impressive you got what i love about the film is that you you really made it you gave so much production value but yet in a very very small space really it was a small group of characters and a lot of people think that you have to make a, a, a very contained movie like yours, which is contained, but it wasn't contained. There's like big outside scenes and there's excitement and things like that. But it doesn't have to be in a room. I mean, you, mm. you can think outside the box a little bit and it's still very, but you did a car. Um, but it was a car with outside and, 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 you know, the sky and there was a lot of production value and, and all the stuff that you did with it. Um, but the, when you, the look of the film is really great. When you got into color though, how much did you do? Did, was it like you guys were close to where you wanted to be? And that's scary, man. I'm like, I'm just, I'm letting you know. I'm, I've been a colorist for 10, 12 years. I sh- I have to shoot raw because I need that that freedom to like save me yeah. from me. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's the it is the correct, sensible thing to do, is what you're saying. It, so it's good.
2: Sure, I mean, why not? Is the real answer to that question. Why would you not use those tools that are available? But yeah, no, we, we shot, as we uh, previously mentioned, um, we lit with the colors we wanted, It, you know, how we wanted it to be lit. We're big fans of splashing color in there. And, oh, very yeah. Good, Scott. Very yeah. Very yeah. Tony. I mean. Throw yeah. it in, you know. and We're He's not a... likening ourselves. To...
1: No. <laughs> not <laughs> no, no. No, no, okay. no. Just like Tony um, Scott, this is what I do. Yeah. No, no, we understand. Yeah. yeah, we understand, Tony. Rest in peace, Tony. But, I mean, yeah. Tony and Ridley both
2: yeah. just... Visual It's amazing. So, yeah, our goal was to to just capture that as much as possible on location. And then when we got to to the color grade, um, for the most part, it was a few kind of vignette power windows here and there.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um,
2: We pushed, we did a thing, we did some tests early on when we were comparing the Blackmagic footage to film uh, footage and we noticed that film had like a, a kind of slight greeny yellowy tint in the highlights uh, that's something we just saw and so we just pushed a bit of that in um up the saturation up the contrast ever so slightly it was a very i mean it was a time-consuming process because it always is isn't it with the with the um color matching and everything but in terms of how how much we pushed the image we didn't do a huge amount to it we were quite delicate with it
1: and how about visual effects because there's a, a couple of visual effects in the movie um, yeah there's
2: 70 visual effects in the film how many how Actually, many 170 yeah nice. Uh, nice most of them are not visible there we we call them invis effects because they're just not even supposed to be noticed they're like uh, set extensions and skylines and stars in the sky and all that kind of stuff but yeah i i handled the visual effects while elliot was doing all the sound design and the foley for the film um I did the visual effects on blender, which is this fantastic mm-hmm. open source VFX software is just getting stronger and stronger. And man, it's exciting to see what they're doing with it. Pioneering stuff. Um, and, um, yeah. And after effects as well, but for the most part, like I said, it was, uh, some set extensions, some skylines, but there were more involved things. For example, the front of the telescope, um, we replaced the front end of the telescope in the movie because it looked pretty awful. Actually. It was a, It was originally a tripod carry tube um, and we created a prop for the front to make it look like a telescope. And then we got into the edit and we were like, that just does not sell. Um, Rubbish, uh, rubbish, sir. Rubbish, (laughs) absolute trash. Um, And so uh, Elliot turned to me and he said, can we do something about that? So I had to figure that out. It was very much a learning process as we went. Um, uh, But uh, yeah, I always say that like, uh, when it came to the visual effects, it was something I was doing for fun before mm-hmm. Cosmos was even a consideration. So, if you ever get that kind of tinge uh, of excitement about anything, just just explore it a bit because for filmmaking it's such a diverse discipline. There's so many different elements to it. Chances are it will come back and help you at some point.
1: And you, yeah. so you comped in After Effects, you did comp, uh, comp in After yeah. Effects, visual effect, uh, 3D in Blender, 3D, Final That's Cut correct. Edit. And color. And then you also mastered sound in Final Cup, which I know is ridiculous because I've done it myself. It's, yeah, it's, not, again, it's not really built, not built as no, an audio. Not at all. Not, not even all. a little bit. Not even a little bit. And then you guys also did Foley as well.
3: Yeah, We did the lot. Yeah, we did the Foley and I did that. So while Xander was doing the visual effects, I I was stomping around and rustling and breathing into microphones and all that sort of thing. And It's uh, amazing. Sixty-six thousand sound effects we put in onto hundred audio tracks. So,
1: what ma- what machine yeah. were you? What machine were you running? Because I know Final Cut Seven fairly well. That's going to tax the. That's going to tax the software, sir.
3: Yeah, it did. I, I don't. I just earned a Mac and iMac. iMac. So, um, that's an
1: it, iMac with a, but, with with an operating system that still runs Final Cut Seven because now officially, it's yeah. it's dead. you, you can't upgrade.
2: <laughs> yes, that is absolutely right. <laughs> we have two iMacs, right? This one, which is up to date, and the one we made Cosmos on, which we cannot change.
3: <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, the Mac is like dead now. You turn it on and you just try and open up Chrome or something. You just think we we killed this computer <laughs> trying to make no, that film. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I know the feeling.
3: It just, of, just want, it just wants to retire. It wants to be put out to graze. You know? Is it?
1: Is it something about Macs that I, is it something to say, I still have three towers of old Macs that I just, I can't get rid of them. I just, there's, there's just something like, I can't, there's not, I can't get rid of my Mac. I don't uh, like, <laughs> just, worries. just worries. in case you need that CD-ROM for some reason.
0: Yeah, well,
3: yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Here with a floppy disk drive on it, so you know, got to keep, got to keep the options open, you? Know, keep
1: the art alive, just in case everything goes to, goes to hell. You got Final Cut Seven. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: it. I'm on a floppy, and we're in business
1: now. Um, no, and uh, so you finish this whole movie. You you're ready. It's been five years, um, and 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 you're like, okay, let's get this out to the world. Um, tell me your adventures in distribution.
3: Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we finished the film, and we then set about putting together the marketing materials that we thought we would need in order to get a distributor. So we did our own poster, and we cut our own trailer, and we put a screener together, and all that sort of thing. And then we decided to, in the spirit of the film, continue to do everything ourselves. So of, we, of course,
1: why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Why
3: would we change? Why wouldn't we have learned our lesson after five years? Um, so we started, we actually tried to submit, or we did submit the film to probably a dozen film festivals um, in sort of the tier of film festival that you hope your film might.
1: So Sundance. Qualify. Sundance. Sundance,
3: South mm-hmm. by Southwest. Of course, South by Southwest. Southwest,
1: Southwest. You, don't, you donated to Robert Redford's uh, retirement fund, did, I understand. Yes. yes,
3: I'm sure he appreciated that. <laughs> um, and we obviously got flat out rejected from, from every festival we submitted to. Um, yeah. And then we decided to just sort of. We were going, well, we're going to go to, we're trying to get into festivals so we can connect with distributors. But I wonder if we can just connect with those distributors directly. And we spoke to a few filmmakers uh, that we knew who had done that route. And that's what we pursued. So with our marketing material and our screener of our film, we set about reaching out directly and sent out some introductory emails, sent out some screeners, and just started talking to people, really. And we, we spoke to sales agents as well and tried to suss out whether, That was the right route for us. And in the end, we we um we got we actually got two distributors competing, you know, bidding for the film and pushed it up the or you know, yeah, pushed the bid up and made it more favorable for us, and then ended up going with one that we felt offered us something that was worth you know the deal, worth signing up to. And and that's what we did. And that process took about six months from from the day of finishing the film to
1: but that's nothing, though. But that's nothing for guys like you. You've already taken. It's taking you four and a half, five years to make a movie. Six months that's for distribution. True. That's nothing.
2: I, 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 our sense of time is like we, we're like. It's <laughs> like being in an Nolan movie. It's just yeah. like, what's going on? What you, just six months. That's a blink of an eye. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it was an interesting process for sure. But we we used IMDb Pro's free trial to create a list of. Uh, distributors that you know in the the kind of realm that we were looking for and we just we just went down that list and um, ultimately it it worked out and we found a home for Cosmos that um, has done for the most part what we wanted it to do although no distribution story is plain sailing for sure.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard of one of those uh, yet. That uh, Everyone's like, yes, it was fantastic. They only gave me money. I actually didn't know what to do with all the money and attention I was getting. Um, it's generally uh, not, not, not something you hear. But uh, but generally speaking, though, you're happy with where you went with the distribution company and, and and how things have been, how it's been put out into the world and everything like that. Because, look, I've seen it everywhere uh, and I've seen it pop up a bunch of different places. So i'm assuming that's you guys as far as marketing is concerned yeah
0: it it
2: is it is uh, for sure yeah we went we were uh we're with gravitas ventures and i think their model is very much the give it to the producers they know their movie they can market it you know we'll put it on the platforms um and so the as far as we're aware most of the marketing uh, of the movie is is our work really you know we put the post and the trailer together we did an ad spend uh, on some social media to try and get it out there and, and we're just trying to engage with the filmmaking community and share the process really as much as we possibly can but you know we are we are certainly happy with the reach of the movie it's available on you know many platforms it's in the US it's on like Hulu 2B it's on Prime streaming and Vimeo it's all all the all the spot and uh, VOD options that you could really hope for to be quite honest um, but there's also certainly a strong argument for that kind of independent distribution route where you handle it yourself if you're doing all the marketing anyway right like why not why not make that final step for us we our goal was very much to be able to finish the movie give it to somebody else have control over the marketing because we didn't want it that to be in someone else's hands we were worried that it could be marketed incorrectly but but to not to not have all our time spent on getting that movie out there. So to us, it made sense to hand it to somebody else because we wanted to start writing a new project, start moving forwards and not get kind of like bogged down in, in the, in the personal distribution of the movie.
1: Now, but the other thing is too, you guys had a very different end game for this film. And that's something that's really important for filmmakers to understand. Listening is that, your goals with the film were not to make a million dollars or, you know, or be, you know, rich or anything like that off the film. Money's nice. We would like to have money if we can't keep going without it.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Um, but because I'm assuming you don't want to do another five years like this. Um, I'm, assu- I'm I'm assuming. This is it. You're not okay. doing any more. No more of these movies. You have to promise me. No more. But um <laughs> but you but your goal was to get it out there and and get your name out there for people to see you, to have conversations about other projects, to talk to other investors. That was the end game for this film, correct?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um the film has the film has been out 6 months now and we are starting to move into a phase where The film is making us money which is great um because that's a real uptick but you're right our goal was um we have the philosophy that like we couldn't buy our way into the movie industry uh even if we had loads of money so we've got to find something of of value beyond the finances that would allow us to progress as film directors so if we could trade um, the financial reward for the exposure and hopefully people liking the movie and the word getting around and maybe people in industry hearing about it and going, oh, yeah, I've heard about this film, actually. That was more valuable to us as filmmakers. And and we do try and stress that to people we talk to and, you know, on things like this that we're not at all sort of suggesting that this is a business model for,
0: an <laughs>
1: yeah, know, the you know, the seventh, the seven thousand dollar five year model. Then no, not so much. No, no, no,
3: no. no. no, no. We were, like, you know, we run a production company. Aside from this, we we've got other projects and other fingers in other pies. Um, the reason we wanted to make this movie initially was as a bargaining chip to get that initial film off the ground. In the end, it was just supposed to be something that we could barter with. But now, you know, it ended up becoming something bigger, and it's actually acting in a way as like a crowbar to open industry doors and and since the film has been released we've had people from you know hollywood email us and you know we've been talking to managers and we're potentially talking to people and it has it has given us that sort of um springboard so yeah mm-hmm. we we traded the finances for um the potential you know to be able to help our career
1: move further on. but the other thing is that you also didn't make a two hundred thousand dollar movie and had that goal then you made a seven thousand dollar movie yes you know very very robert rodriguez esque uh it was it was was a a, a nice round seven (laughs) thousand
3: yeah
1: absolutely on the dot on the dot exactly um no that's that's amazing guys you guys are definitely an inspiration uh an indie film inspiration and in in, you know it's it's you did it in today's world but Yet a little bit in the past because it took you five years to do, but, um, but all the things that you did travel to this point right now. And, and the, the basic, um, spirit of what you do is, is getting out there and doing it. And not everyone needs five years. Some, my son might need seven, but, um, but you did it and you did it on your own terms and you told the story you wanted to tell and it's doing exactly what you want for it. And God, you can't really ask for, oh, I mean, you could ask for a bunch more, but generally speaking, you got what you aimed for.
2: Yeah, we absolutely—we actually got a lot more than we aimed for. I mean, we, we've walked away with a movie that people are watching and they're enjoying. And we having people contact us every single day to say, you know, I checked out your movie, in, we're in lockdown and it's brought me hope and it's brought, you know, and it sounds corny right but like ultimately as filmmakers our goal is to like tell a story that people connect with and 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 to hear that people are enjoying the film uh, and and wanting to kind of connect with the community and be part of it it's just it's an absolute dream um and on top of that the actors that are in the movie they've become yeah. like family to us you know like we've been to weddings and we've they've moved houses and we you know we were we're all part of it together now and um it's it's been a testing experience, but just an incredible one as well. Very, very lucky.
1: Now, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. as all well, my guests. Uh, what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today?
3: Blindly. Um, I, I would say, yeah. Um, take I five
1: think, years. Take five years and make. Yeah,
2: it yeah. Don't take.
0: Five, Do something nuts. <laughs> um, I would say, be be passionate. Because I think there are a lot of people,
3: you know, Zander and I talk to a lot of people, we cross paths with filmmakers. And I think you can, and also young crew, you can sort of sniff out the ones who kind of want to be in it because they think it's cool. And it'd be like, I'd love to walk the red carpet and I'd love to be, it's a glitzy glamour industry. And then you can also immediately tell the people that don't care about that at all. They just, they have to do this because they love it so much. And I right. think... I think the people who are in positions of power can tell why, why you're sitting in front of them. And if you're passionate and you love it so much, I think that, that you're going to win them over. So I'd say be
2: passionate about what you, That's love, what you do. That's good. I'd say um, really identify like what it is about making movies that is going to make you happy. Like Why do you want to do it? Because if you're doing it for the end goal, if you're doing it because it's going to get you somewhere someday, that's just not really going to get you through those challenging nights where you're, you know, you could Final Cut Sevens crashed on you for the hundredth time and you're you in the
1: know, middle of a render and you just lost your edit. You know, it,
2: it's to me a big thing I've learned through the making of Cosmos has been about just enjoying the process. Don't forget that it's filmmaking that you love, not the next movie, not the movie you're making in 10 years, not where you'll be or what you could be doing someday. It's it's right now. And um, if you're on set with a camera and you're making a movie with actors, you're doing it. You're just doing it. So just enjoy that and, and try to hold on to that through the whole process.
1: Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life?
2: Oh. They, things take time. Yeah, I'm going to say exactly
1: that. Patience.
2: Yeah. Go on. Yeah. yeah patience, persistence. Um, things take time. Things take longer than you ever thought they could uh just accept it and don't fight it you know you're doing the best you can i remember hearing
3: there's a phrase that we our dad used to tell us he heard and he told us and he said that people overestimate what they can achieve in a year but underestimate what they can achieve in a decade yeah and it's like that's that's i remember leaving school at 18 and being like this is it you know by the time i'm 22
1: should I'm be, be... any time now yeah. oscars should i should yeah. i get the tux now what should i do
3: you know and now i'm 32 it's been 14 years since i left school and i've just you know it's been six months we've released our first film it took a hell of a lot longer than we thought it would but we didn't give up and we are now here so patience don't give up keep working hard love what you do and it will come
1: and three of your favorite films of all time
2: uh, definitely E.T.
1: Yeah. I, I figured. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a huge compliment, man. Thank
1: I, you. No, no. I fi- when I saw Cosmos, I'm like, oh boy, these guys love that Spielberg, boy, they just oh, love it. Oh, Steven Spielberg. Oh, we do. Gosh. We do. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: good.
2: it could easily be three Spielberg films to be top three. But I tell you what, we watched the other day again, first time in a while, Meet Joe Black. Have you seen it? Yeah, in of course. Rest. Yeah, it's great. Oh,
0: yeah. I love,
1: I love okay. Meet Joe Black. I love, I love Meet Joe Black. Oh,
2: Man, what a movie. Wow, yeah. incredible.
0: Um, but
3: yeah, you go on. Pick, pick one. It's hard to pick a favorite movie. i tell you what, not picking a favorite movie, but another good Martin Brest movie, Scent of a Woman.
0: Oh, you yes. Know, Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. Yeah. Hoo-ha. Yeah. So that's that end
3: scene. Like, that's brilliant. Anything yeah. Spielberg, Jaws, Close Encounters. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Raiders. It's all good, man. We've been mega, mega Spielberg fans.
0: I
1: mean, you can watch Jaws right now. And it yeah. is perfection. It's, it it's is. the the shark. I don't care. It It's just perfect. It's exactly Isn't what nice? it needs to be. I don't want a CG shark. I want, I I'm, want, I want that shark. It's, it's so, so perfect. And did you know, uh, I'll give you a little bit of Jaws trivia. The scene oh. in the boat where they're drunk, it's the night before the big thing. And um, what's his name? Oh, the old, um, Oh, God. Robert Robert Shaw is doing that whole, like, long diatribe about, like, this dialogue. And he's, like, talking about that. That was actually written by John Milius. Really? Spielberg called him, like, the night before and said, hey, John, man, we got to shoot shoot the scene tomorrow. And we we need a scene. And John yeah, sure, and he wrote the scene out for him. Wow. Oh, I'll just... Tie this up for you. Yeah, and the then, best, but, but it's like run. it's like you calling one of your mates and going, "Hey, dude, can you can you help me out with this shot?" But that's who they were. They're like the yes, young filmmakers, yeah. you know. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean,
3: it's funny because we'll have this, We'll talk to the film. You know, we'll talk to filmmakers like yourself, and you'll have this phrase like, "What's a perfect film?" And people say Jaws, and suddenly everyone goes, "Oh, Jaws,
1: Jaws." I mean, Jaws perfect. is a perfect. I mean, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's
3: everyone agrees.
1: Yeah, there's I mean, Spielberg has a few perfect films. I mean, there's yeah. he's he's got a couple in his, you
0: know, and I mean I could go into the Kubrick so I can go into Fincher. Right. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I
1: can go into Nolan. So many. I can go to Mar- I can go into Marty, I mean Coppola, I mean Godfather, obviously. Okay.
3: Scott. We love Gladiator as well. Absolutely Blade, Blade, Runner. Blade Runner. Blade so. Runner.
1: Thief, Alien. Alien. Aliens, if you want to go down
3: yeah, the camera. Yeah, yeah. Cameron, Cameron is oh, often yeah. overlooked, isn't
1: he? Cameron. Cam- so this is the funny thing about, okay, and we're, now there's just two, this is film geeks talking, guys, so just bear with us. Um, Cameron, I, I when Titanic came out, I, I people were like, you know, I don't know how old were you guys when Titanic came out?
3: Nine. it was the yeah, okay. school. Have all
1: you right. seen Titanic? Have you seen it? Yeah, I no? yeah, so so okay, so 9 so I was, 90, I was a bit older than you 97. Um but uh when when everybody you know, it was a big hoopla, 200 million dollars is going to bomb. Who's going to want to watch Titanic? I mean, we all know how it ends. Like why would you do that? And I just kept saying to everybody who was saying that, anyone I talked to, I'm like in camera I trust
0: Yeah, yeah, I
1: love it. And Cameron I trust because he has yet to make a bad movie. And if you look at his filmography from uh, The Abyss, Aliens, Terminator, Terminator 2, True Lies.
0: True Lies is amazing.
1: He he just always delivered. It just always. So then when fast forward a decade and then Avatar, they're saying the same thing about Avatar. I'm like, hey, hey." Cameron I trust. Cameron, we trust. And Cameron, we <laughs> trust. He's one of the most underrated filmmakers, uh, I think, in history. He's the most one of the most uh, successful filmmakers in history. And the funny thing is that, and I always tell people this: like, do you understand that nobody else could make Avatar? Like, there is no yeah. Spielberg can't. Spielberg's not getting half a million, half a billion dollars to go yeah, develop yeah. a new IP, new technology about blue people, um, <laughs> with with uh, arguably no. Major bankable stars, like major stars yeah. involved. Yeah. You know, other like you supporting we, not, nothing that could support a half a billion dollars.
3: Today, today, yeah, today's stars. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. So nobody, not Peter Jackson, definitely not Fincher, definitely not Nolan. Like nobody else could do it, other than someone like James Cameron, and there is nobody yeah. else. And when you when you realize, and I've I've heard these interviews, like when you're the only person on the planet. that could do something like there's no there's not an argument here could spielberg make a movie like avatar yes but not by himself he doesn't have the skill set cameron is like on a whole other level like with the technology and and you know and and nolan and, and all you know there's just nobody else that could do that film no one else would write no
2: one else would get a check for half a billion dollars no, you you're right actually. That's something you quite easily overlook because you just go, yeah, it's
1: Cameron. <laughs> <But> you <laughs> take it you take it for granted. You just take it like, oh, yes, it is James Cameron. But there's nobody yeah. else.
2: I I love watching behind the scenes footage of <sighs> the especially on Titanic. Titanic. you see him in the water, Cameron on his shoulder. He's in his waders. Just, uh, it's just so did, inspiring.
3: You, did
1: you did you guys listen to my interview with Russell Carpenter, the the, the DP from Titanic?
0: No, no, no we haven't. Okay,
1: so you have, to, you have to listen to that. I'll tell you a quick Cameron story and, and everyone – again, we are now – you guys can leave. It's now just between yeah. us. We're just, we're just talking now because we're geeks. Um, Russell Carpenter gets called uh, into to his Malibu house and he's like, we're going to do True Lies. It was about True Lies because he did True Lies and then he did Titanic and now he's doing all the avatars. Um, and he calls him up and James Cameron just brings him into his mansion in Malibu and they're walking around. And he's just talking to Russell like he got the job. Like, there's no offer. There's no nothing. He's just talking to him like he's been hired. So he gets out. He leaves. He's like, I think I was hired. Um, and then, and Cameron, during that time, even during the Titanic time, his, his reputation is, he's rough. Let's just call he's rough. He's a little bit of a taskmaster. Let's call it. Um, Cameron's legendary for being that dude on set. <laughs> and so then he's shooting True Lies. And everyone's like, how's it working with James Cameron? And he's like, it's great. I, I have no problem. I don't understand why everyone's having such an issue with James. They're like, we've been shooting for a couple of days. It's been peaches. It's been great. So they're in his Malibu house again, his screening room in Malibu, and they're st- and they're seeing dailies. And <laughs> he sh- oh. a, sh- a shot comes up from Arnold, and then I'm gonna guys, everyone, prepare yourselves. I'm gonna curse. I don't curse very often. I'm just quoting uh, Mr. Cameron at this point, and he goes. What the fuck is that? <laughs> and Russell was like oh, oh, oh. he starts like it. and the production designers there and the first ADs there and a couple of their keys are there. And he goes, "Hey Russell, I just spent 20 million dollars on the biggest movie star on earth. It'd be nice if I could see his fucking face." <laughs> Oh, oh,
3: no. Wow.
1: It and, came out, like, And oh. then all of a sudden, the next shot comes up and he just goes to town at every single shot. And Russell's just like, oh. okay, okay. So he leaves. He's out in the parking in the parking area. And he's like, he's calling his wife. He's like, I've been fired. I've been fired. I've been fired. I've just I've been fired. There's no way I can go back. I mean, obviously, James Cameron wants to be rid- 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 me. Then the production designer in the first day, come out and he goes, Russell, Russell, he does that to everybody. He goes, what are you do? T- He goes, no, no, that's, call all the other DPs he's worked with. He does it to everybody. He calls up the DP from the, from like the abyss. And he goes, does he goes, did he try the whole, I want to see the face guy? Yeah. He does it to me too. He does it to everybody. It's not you. You're fine. Just keep going. And that is James Uh, Cavern.
2: We saw all recently. We saw the, uh, some of the behind the scenes from the abyss. as
1: well. I was about to say that. Did you see that documentary? Have you seen the set?
2: Like the underwater-
1: No, but did you see like the, the documentary? The oh, did you see it? Yeah, You've seen the whole documentary, right? The whole like- yeah. yeah,
3: it's just like, what am I looking at? I mean, all the way from the beginning, right, Cameron? You go, oh yeah, the guy that made Avatar. You go, no, no. No, 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 you no, no. You see how they do this? Like, God. oh yeah, it's a nuclear silo. Let's fill it with water and build our set. What he's, are you talking about?
1: He's been, and, I, and I'll give you one more Cameron story and then we will end this interview. Uh, <laughs> Cause we could just keep talking for another hour. I read, I read in uh, one of Cameron's um, biographies on The Abyss, if you saw the behind the scenes of The Abyss, and by the way, anyone listening here should go watch The Abyss if you haven't seen yeah. it, and get the DVD and or Blu-ray and watch arguably one of the best filmmaking documentaries I've ever seen, Up There with Hearts of Darkness for Apocalypse yeah. Now. It is Great. amazing to watch. You just sit there with your mouth on the floor the entire time they're doing it. And... um. The suits at 20th Century Fox it was it was way over budget. It was like a fifty. Was, and at that time, it was like fifty million bucks, sixty million dollars to make the movie, and and it was just going up and up. And like you know, the tarp broke and the filtration system broke. So people and they had to buy these really expensive, like design these really expensive suits so people could not only see and we could see their faces. So he has like he so on the line item, it's wardrobe. It's wardrobe, but it costs like $10,000. And everyone, like no one knows what's going on at the studio and the studio, and like they're somewhere in North Carolina. and they, So a suit flies in. And if you saw the, the behind the scenes, Cameron, you know, you're underwater for 10 hours. So you have to decompress for two or three hours underwater so you can come up without getting the bends. And Cameron was doing this all day, every day. He was, he was in the water more than anybody else. So he was a taskmaster, but he was proving you know, he's walking the walk. So this he so he's just getting out of this decomp- decomposition, and he takes off that 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 you know the, that helmet that he that they built, right? And yeah. this guy comes up, who's obviously a suit, an executive. He comes up and goes. Hey James, I'm here from the. And before he could finish the sentence, James took the helmet and slammed it on the guy's head. So now the guy can't breathe because it's without oxygen. That thing is airtight. So now he can't breathe. He grabs him by the by his tie and dre- and lifts him over like he's dangling from the edge. And if he falls into water, the dude is gonna die. If he falls into water, unless someone gets to him. He's gonna die. And he dangles him there while the guy's like barely breathing for like 10 seconds. Then he pulls him back in, rips the thing off. He goes, If I ever see you on my fucking scent again, I'll kill you. And now you see, this is the 90s, guys. This is early 90s. This is a whole other world. I don't suggest you do something like this, but these are the legendary stories of James Cameron. This is one of a billion of them that I have heard. We've read about over the years, and I know a lot of people who've worked with him. And every single time I I uh, I, I meet with somebody, like I had another guy. Okay, one more story, and that'll be the last James Cameron story. Um, a buddy of mine, he was uh, at the DGA, and he's a DJ director, and he's you know he's a, a good director in his own right, and 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 has a couple films under his belt, and he's big in music videos at the time. And uh, I think it was Spielberg and Cameron. I think in Jackson or someone like that, where they're giving a talk to the other. And they're like, yeah, you
0: need to do this. And we're doing this as a new way and do all this. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And my, my buddy comes up, he stands
1: up, he goes, hey, James, that's really nice because you're James Cameron. I don't have access to that kind of stuff. Like in front of everybody called out James Cameron in front of all these other directors. And James goes, well, what are you doing tomorrow? Do you want to come to set? Now, this is, this is Avatar before anybody knew what the hell Avatar was. Before anyone knew what the technology, all you heard was rumors about what the technology was that was being built. And I even heard, I was here at that time. I was here in LA. So I heard like through the grapevine, like James Cameron's doing something like this. So he shows up, shows up onto set, which is the, 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 the what is that? The, the volume. The volume, right? And he's yeah, the volume. And there's this, and they're basically developing technology. This is all brand new technology they're developing. So behind them in the sound stage, there's like three rows up with just computers. It must have been 40 people with wires and computer gears and, and and just servers and shit, just because, you know. And you see James Cameron with this monitor in front of him. And in the monitor, wherever he moves the camera, you see avatar you see uh whatever that i forgot the name of the the planet um pandora Pandora. yeah you see pandora right so you see pandora in real time in in real time you're seeing everything in real time so he sees everything but it's all virtual so then (laughs) my buddy's standing behind him because he's shadowing him he stands behind and he's watching and he goes all right action and it's the scene where they like they arrive the first time the helicopter and they jump out yeah. yeah that thing right so he does, and, and, and he goes, in the tank is action, and he, he jumps off like a, a stool. <laughs> he jumps off with the <laughs> camera, and he runs, and he runs into a digital tree. Like, he runs into a digital tree. And he goes, hey, Jimmy, can you move this thing about 20 feet that way? And he goes, sure, James. And all of a sudden, like from God, a mouse from God comes into the screen, clicks on this tree in real time, lifts it up roots and all moves it over 30 feet and plants it over there let's go again Whoa. And he's like and then they do it and they go so then my buddy comes up to him after like you know a few you know, a few hours of this and they're like prepping something and he goes james man this is uh this is pretty cool technology man. and this is where you understand where james cameron's in a completely different playing field than any of us are he goes you know what would be really fucking cool? If I didn't have a cable to this damn thing. This cable has been driving me nuts. I wish we could figure out a way to do this without a cable. It's the most cutting edge technology in film history yeah. at the moment. And he's like, but the cable is bugging it's me. Not perfect. It's
2: not perfect yet. And, well, that, like that,
1: right. That's and right. that is yeah. And that is James Cameron. I'm sorry, everyone, yeah. for listening. If you're still with us, we turned this into a James Cameron love fest. I apologize. Um right with that? But guys, guys, um, where can people find you? What you're doing? Your film, uh, all that good stuff.
2: Well, we have a website, CosmosMovieOfficial.com, where you can find out, where you can check out the film, and follow us on social media, and even buy some merchandise if you fancy. Some
1: um, merch? Are you selling oh, merch? Nice. We are selling caps,
2: and they're they're flying off the shelf. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we we're, we're on all social media, and we make uh, we make it our personal quest to, to reply to every single piece of correspondence we get. So if you have any questions about the process or about your own movie and how distribution might work or this, that, and the other, just get in touch. We're always happy to to talk genuinely.
1: Thank you guys for being an inspiration to the uh, to the film tribe and to filmmakers everywhere. We need stories like this to keep us going because it is a fairly depressing time that we're in currently. And, uh, and before, before uh, you know, the situation that we're all in, it was still depressing. <laughs> 2019, it was still fairly depressing for filmmakers, uh, especially independent filmmakers and making money and making your movies and all this kind of stuff. So these are the kind of stories I like to promote and, and really give people inspiration to go out there and make their movies. And you guys are the personification of Indie Film Hustle. So thank you guys so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you very much for having us. It's uh, Honestly, it's awesome to be on the show. It We've a blast. Followers.
1: Thank you. So. I want to thank Xander and Elliot so much for coming on the show and inspiring the tribe with their misadventures in making Cosmos. Thank you so, so much, guys. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 297. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at BulletproofScreenwriting.tv.